be back starting in John chapter 3 tonight. We're going to start in John chapter 3. We're not going to stay there. We're not going to end there. Uh, but we are going to uh, examine uh, more of the life of Nicodemus uh, from this point uh, through what we know about him. And I, I think that we will see that as we look at the life of Nicodemus, that the impact on our own witness uh, can be greatly impacted uh, by just what we can learn here from his life tonight. So let's read again from the text that we read this morning. We're going to uh, focus in on just one piece of information from this text, and uh, then we will uh, move on to some other passages of Scripture. So John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, John writes, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher uh, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to be back in your house tonight to study your word. Father, I pray that as we look into your word, you teach us, that you'd help us to apply these principles to our own lives and to our own witness. I pray that we would be faithful witnesses for you in the world in which we live and uh, Father, I just pray that you'd help us to see those opportunities that we have to witness each and every day. Be with us now and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So in John chapter 3, as I mentioned this morning, we don't get a 100% straight answer uh, from the text here on whether or not Nicodemus left this encounter as what we would call saved. Certainly, the, the, the text and the context of the situation leads us to believe that he was not saved in this moment. 
which might lead somebody to say, how does one have an encounter with Jesus and leave lost? Well, you know, it happened in other places in Scripture. You probably recall the story of the rich young rulers recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in uh, Luke chapter 18, it tells us that that whole story ends by saying that the rich young ruler left sorrowful. He left sad because he had an encounter with Jesus. He didn't accept what Jesus taught him, and he left lost, just like he had arrived lost. And so someone just showing up and learning about Jesus does not mean they accept the things that he is teaching. And that's what the text and the context of this passage of Scripture seems to be telling us. I, I went back and I even pulled other uh, commentaries and other resources that I don't usually look at. And every single one seemed to agree that no one believes that Nicodemus left this situation saved. In verse 10, Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. In verse 10, essentially as Jesus is pointing out that, that Nicodemus doesn't grasp what he's being told. And in verse 11, he says, you don't receive our witness. Now that you, if we were to look at it in the original uh, language, we would understand that you doesn't apply just to Nicodemus. It applies back to the we that Nicodemus referenced way back uh, when he first encountered Jesus. In verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And so Jesus says, all of you reject the witness of God. And so Jesus seems to be telling Nicodemus there, he seems to be telling us about Nicodemus, that Nicodemus is not accepting the message. But nevertheless, that's not the main point I want to make. The main point comes from verse 10, where he says, Are you the teacher of Israel? Now, we talked about Nicodemus this morning, and we mentioned several things that John tells us back in the beginning in verses 1 and 2, that he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews, that means he's a member of the Sanhedrin, he came to Jesus by night, he was curious, we looked at all those things. But we didn't cover this particular title, if you will, that Jesus refers to Nicodemus by. He refers to him as the teacher of Israel. So I had to do a little bit more digging on that, and in the Holman Bible Dictionary, it says that this term means specifically, it's saying that Nicodemus was an expert. He was an authority on the interpretation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? We probably shouldn't drink tea from China right now, but he says... What does that have to do with anything? What does the entirety of the Old Testament point to? Jesus. The entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures, points to Jesus. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you're an expert on what we today would call the Old Testament, and you don't understand what I'm telling you. 
Nicodemus' Old Testament knowledge should have pointed him to the light of who Jesus is. We see in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul uh, talking to, to the young Timothy, tells him beginning in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul talking about the Old Testament. Tells Timothy, from childhood you've known the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells Timothy that those same scriptures that Nicodemus was an expert in can lead you to Jesus. Why didn't the Old Testament point Nicodemus to Jesus? Well, we could real easy just sum it up, say he's stuck in his ways. You know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. We've got all ways we could say it, but we'll just say he was blinded by what he thought he knew. Nicodemus was blinded by those preconceived notions. Remember, he had asked Jesus over here when he, he said, how can a man be born when he is old? He's really saying, how can an old man give up everything he's ever believed? How can an old man give up everything he's al always been taught and start over in his belief system from scratch? You know, I told the teenagers not long ago as we were studying in the book of Mark, I told them that the greatest obstacle that I believe that we face in telling people about Jesus is our own personal bias. Meaning, we're not going to go tell somebody about Jesus if we don't like them. We're not going to go tell people about Jesus who meet a certain piece of criteria that we don't like. Whether that's uh, race, whether that's socioeconomic status, whether they live on the wrong side of town and say, well, I'm not going to go talk to them. I don't like them. That's the greatest stumbling block for us to share the gospel is personal bias. But when it comes to someone receiving the gospel, I believe the greatest roadblock is their own preconceived notion. That's what it was with Nicodemus. His own preconceived notions. While the Hebrew scriptures should have pointed him directly to Jesus. He was blinded by what he thought he knew about those scriptures. But that's not where the story ends, thankfully. Turn to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. Once again, Jesus is um, getting everybody's attention. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard, heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take Jesus, but 
no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priest and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. This story's happening in Jerusalem. And as we get down to that latter part of the discourse there with with the officers and the Pharisees and Nicodemus, all of that's happening before the Sanhedrin. That great ruling body, that Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. They want Jesus arrested. Why? Because he claimed to be God. The fact of the matter is that he is. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be who he is, and they don't like that. And so they want Jesus arrested. You see, Jesus stands to mess up everything they stand for. And so then we have the officers. These are the the temple guards. They are Levites. They are like a police force that kept the peace on the temple grounds, and the Sanhedrin could send them out within areas of their jurisdiction to take care of religious matters as well. But they want the officers to go arrest Jesus. But these officers are in awe of the teachings of Jesus. And so, in verse 47, the Pharisees accuse the guards, the temple police, if you will, of being deceived. They are making fun of them. Because they say, hey, you mean the Pharisees that believe in this guy? You know, it's like, you all are crazy. The Pharisees, we're the smart ones. We're the ones that know all the stuff you're supposed to know religiously, and we don't believe he's the Christ. Little do they know, there's apparently at least one Pharisee with an open mind setting within their midst. Because we get down uh, into verse 50, and we find Nicodemus, who says, Does our law judge a man before it hears him? and knows what he's doing. Now, we don't know at this point if Nicodemus has come to to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's at least got an open mind. We know that he's at least leaning in that direction. So things are getting better for Nicodemus from our point of view. He's saying Jesus ought to get a fair trial. He's at least even more curious about Jesus and that we ought to at least investigate this. But we can't move on. I can't move on without pointing something else out that has nothing to do with Nicodemus directly. But verse 52, the rest of the Sanhedrin, they look at Nicodemus and said, Are you from Galilee? Search and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. 
Now, number one, they didn't do their homework to find out where Jesus was really from, right? Now, the people over there before we were reading uh, over there in verse 42, they're saying, now, this guy's from Galilee. He can't be the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, is supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, where was Jesus born, right? He was born in Bethlehem. And then they also say, no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Again, they didn't do their homework because the prophet Jonah was from Galilee. And so these guys who are supposed to be so smart are proving themselves to be so, I don't know, wrong. But there's one more thing in verse 52. And maybe this is what spurs on Nicodemus. The rest of them challenged him. They said, search and look. I kind of think Nicodemus went home that night and began to do his homework, but he began to look, and we find Nicodemus one more time in John's Gospel. We find him in chapter 19. In John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross. We'll pick up in verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken and that they may be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified. John witnessed this, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For the scriptures, or for these scriptures were done that, or I'm sorry, for these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who John reminds us, at first came to Jesus by night, lest we think it's another Nicodemus. He also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in Strips of linen with spite with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Joseph of Arimathea. What do we know about Joseph, Nicodemus's partner here, in providing a burial, a proper burial for Jesus? John tells us that Joseph is a disciple of Jesus. 
He's a secret disciple of Jesus because of his fear of the Jews. You know what else we find out elsewhere about Joseph? He's a member of the Sanhedrin. Joseph is also a member of the Sanhedrin, just like Nicodemus is. We know that he's a wealthy man because we find out in the other Gospels that Joseph owned this tomb where they were going to go lay Jesus. So Joseph is a disciple of Jesus. Now we're often defined by whom we associate with, right? I've told the teenagers on many accounts, if you don't want to be known like that group of people, don't hang out with that group of people. You know, you wonder why people talk about you that way. It's because who you hang out with. We're known by who, or we're defined by who we associate with. Nicodemus is associating with Joseph. John tells us that Joseph wants to give Jesus a proper burial because he's a disciple of Jesus. And so we can put two and two together. This afternoon, Truett told me I wasn't a teacher because I don't do math. Well, I just put two and two together. I told him when he said that, I said, three nails plus one cross equals four given. See, preachers do math too. But when we put all the facts together, the fact that Nicodemus and Joseph are apparently very close and very uh, intimately involved in this desire to give Jesus a proper burial, there can be little doubt whatsoever that Nicodemus became a true follower of Jesus. And so what implications does any of that have for us? Why is it important to look at that and, and to see that, that Nicodemus may have started out skeptical. He may have started out, his first encounter with Jesus may not, probably not, or probably did not lead to salvation. But now by the time the crucifixion rolls around, it is fairly obvious that Nicodemus is, is a disciple of Jesus Christ. What implication does that have for us? We shouldn't get discouraged when we share the gospel with someone and they don't immediately convert. You know, sometimes it can be discouraging. You have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone and they're still skeptical. And they walk away and you, you feel discouraged and you say, oh, I, I wanted them to get saved. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible doesn't say it is our job to save anyone, does it? Our only uh, command is that we tell others. Paul, he, is, he um, had the same thing happening with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know when the increase comes? Sometimes long after you've planted and watered. The increase doesn't usually happen immediately. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul reminds us that he says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. And so the story that we get from the life of Nicodemus, I hope it encourages us to be faithful to sow the seeds of the gospel. Because knowing that it's not our job to bring the immediate result should give us hope. That you know what, it's not it's not as intimidating to share the gospel as we might have thought it was. Because it's not our job to bring results. 
It is only our job to plant the seed. To keep watering the seed by following up as necessary. And then just keep planting more seeds. Is there anything before we close?